Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to year two of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. From Matty Olchek to Bob Costas, Mike North to Pat Foley, they reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is sponsored by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dogs since 1893. Find them on the web at ViennaBeef.com and by Dynamic Manufacturing, awarded the General Motors Supplier of the Year 23 times. Honored the legacy, pioneer the future. Visit them at DynamicManufacturingInc.com. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by Serenow Law Group, top-notch pros in reducing your rising real estate taxes. They're on the web at Serenow.com by BetUS, America's favorite sports book for a lot of reasons. Check them out at BetUS.com. And by the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats in the Chicagoland area since 1949. Visit them at PolinaMarket.com. This week we feature the best of season four, part one. I picked paper for the Pope in 1982. And in 1992 with Ron Gleason, I hosted the Bulls celebration from Grant Park. There, I made a horrible mistake because I allowed myself, uh, as it went on, to get a little bit annoyed um, and presented some things in a way that I should not have it. And that's totally my fault. And so I think I picked up the phone, George, one day when I was about 19 or 20 and called you and said, we're putting together this show. I need a Chicago correspondent. Would you be interested? And the first guy says his name and I say, hi, I'm Dave. And the second guy says his name. I say, hi, I'm Dave. And the third guy says, I'm OJ. And I look up at him, I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> but on this particular day in New Orleans, everybody who was driving by or stopped in traffic that was gridlocked around has realized that's Dick Butkus. There was an abundance of great stories from season four of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. We featured 11 guests, some who've retired and some who will. And then there are some who are still very vibrant in their businesses. In our best of part one, we feature five of our guests, beginning with the one and only, and I do mean the one and only, Mike North. He was the driving force behind the birth of WSCR The Score. But in this story, Mike remembers how and why he and his wife decided to open up a hot dog stand and how it led to his monumental success in sports radio. I used to listen to Steve Dahl when I tossed garbage for the Park District. I used to pick paper. I mean, rake leaves during the fall. Uh, I told BB, I said, B, I came home one day. I said, I really screwed myself. I really did. I said, I'm not going to be anything. I told her that. And she said, what are you talking about? I go, I mean, I'm going to pick paper in the park. I said, it's 1982. I'm picking paper in Grant Park today because the Pope was here. Because the Pope was here. I clean up after the guy. 
That's my that's my future. That's our future. Bibi says, honey, we can change that. And she goes, look, I go, well, what do you want to do? She goes, you know what? We should open a hot dog stand. Well, I said, I don't know anything about it. I go, and you went to school to Loyola and Mundelein. You were, you know, in the upper percentage of your class. I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You, she actually took nutrition in college. And she tells me, let's open a hot dog stand. Now we had, <laughs> right. We had both worked. I worked at Jack in the Box, for God's sake, back as a kid. And other places, I used to deliver groceries. I did all this stuff. She says, we can do this. And we ended up having uh, a hot dog stand, and we used to buy and sell them. Buy them for, like, meager prices, bankruptcy sales, the first two places, and then sell them three years later if we built them up for money, a lot of money. Bought our first place, this is unbelievable, it was bankruptcy, five grand, sold it for 40 grand two years later. That oh. was big money in the 70s. Sure it was. And we did that, then we'd travel. But then we found this other place, BB's, and all of a sudden, people started coming from all over, police department, Albany Park, I love all you guys, Bingo Hall across the street, Shures High School down the street, WXRT, not far, it's just every word of mouth, and we, we just had a wonderful place, and I used to mop the floor at night and listen to Chet Coppock. I go, listen to this guy, Chet Coppock. He was just bum-rapping this guy. As you recall, you know, my show was four hours a day, Coppock with a guest, Coppock with a guest, right. Coppock with a guest, flying solo. Mm -hmm. By the time I left to go to New York, and you were the first guy mm -hmm. who really was perceptive enough to recognize mm -hmm. that I, I was desperately in need of a change, mm -hmm. that the show had gotten um, somewhat lethargic. I said, uh, you know what? I want to get into sports radio, or I want to get into uh, doing a sports show. And she goes, well, how are you going to do that? <laughs> well, Norm Weiner and Lynn Bramer came in the next week. They're still, Norm's uh, I, I, still doing well. Lynn Bramer still yeah, at WXRT. Yeah. Right. Well, to this day, Lynn says it's the most awesome thing he's ever seen happen. I said to them, hey, I just read in theater, because, you know, Ron Gleason used to say, nobody reads theater but people in the industry, which he was so wrong about back in the day. Because the big, big chats were the media people, Joan Esposito, the anchors, and everybody else. And I said, uh, I heard Bob Birdie's not going to be on Athlete's Feet next week. And I said, can I host it? And they just looked at me and they said, are you out of your mind? <laughs> nobody knows who you are, blah, 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 which was the truth. I go, well, who's hosting it? He goes, they go, Tom Pachork. I go, I can do it like Tom Pachork. They go, nobody knows who you are. I go, well, how does somebody get to know who I am? What do I got to do? They go, well, you have no educational background. You're not going to go to college. The only thing I could suggest, these guys told me this is brokering time. So then I brokered the time for 200, 200 bucks an hour. Now you can just podcast something for free. And then I, I sold the advertising for 50 bucks for 30 seconds, 100 bucks for a minute. I was pulling in like a thousand, you know, from all my advertisers that came in. Midas Muffler down the street, Earl Scheib, you know, I mean, uh, just different places. J.P. Simmons Corporation. I remember them like it's yesterday, you know. So I decided to broker the time. And the show, the story I was telling you in 1982, okay, from brokering that time and listening to Lynn Bramer and Norm Weiner. I picked paper for the Pope in 1982 
And in 1992, with Ron Gleason, I hosted the Bulls celebration from Grant Park. You know, th there is something, Mike, about being different. A lot of people really admire, and some don't, and you're yeah. one of those people. Then again, yeah. as you mentioned, so was the score radio. Some called you a loudmouth. Some said you were rude. Yeah. Sometimes downright embarrassing. Others, others simply loved the way you spoke. In other words, you were their voice. You were that high-octane personality that translated with a common man because you are the common man. It worked, and I wonder if it surprised you that it worked. Oh, yeah. I think it surprised everybody. I think, like I said, I think Glenn, Glenn told me one time, I, my mother doesn't believe it happened. I mean, uh, I told my dad, this is a great story. My dad says, uh, I told him I was going on the radio. My dad had no comprehension. He's an electrician, you know, went to work, worked 14 hours a day. He goes, you're going to go on the radio. What do you mean you're going on the radio? This new, new sports station. I was supposed to only get like a, they wanted, they offered me weekends. I wasn't big on that, but then somebody dropped out and I'm going to be ending up doing this thing. Okay. My dad comes home one day. He goes, why am I getting free stuff at the hardware store? Okay. And they're telling me I'm your son. I said, dad, listen. I'm on the radio. Here's the articles. My mom, it didn't, she, she goes, how's this happening? You know, but it finally hit him. There's a Ditka show. It was the first Ditka show that I was hosting. What we did back then was we rotated hosts. If you remember George. Oh yeah. And I said, listen, I want you guys to come to my first Ditka show. Me and Mike Ditka. And my dad goes, all right, where's it at? I go Cumberland. Cumberland O'Hare, he had a restaurant there. That's where we did the shows from. George used to stay at the studio, I remember. Yeah. And so they go to the show. <laughs> it's packed. So my dad orders a drink. My mom's just sitting at a table of 10. My mom goes, wow, this is impressive. This, is, this station is something. She goes, and look at all these people that are here to see my Ditka. And the guy at the table said, lady... We're not here to see Ditka. We're here to see Mike North, the new guy. <laughs> and my old man looked at him and she goes, well, we're his parents. The next thing you know, my dad, everything, they're buying drinks. That's exactly what happened. Major League Baseball is underway and BetUS is your home for every game, plus the NBA and NHL playoffs and the PGA Tour. Sign up now and first-time bettors will get a 125% bonus with our promo code STORY22. That's STORY22. Future odds, live betting, and great parlay plays also await you at BetUS. BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. Go to BetUS.com and remember our code, STORY22. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Offman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We return to the best of season four of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Mike North was a very controversial figure during his time on sports radio, and Hub Arkish found himself in the same, albeit uncomfortable, position. The longtime editor of Pro Football Weekly and a regular analyst on the same station North started years before created his own controversy.
you had a rather celebrated and difficult moment in your professional life. It's an incident that gained you notoriety you weren't exactly seeking. And that was your comments on Aaron Rodgers and the MVP voting. Tell me a story I don't know, Hub, whether you were surprised by the intense reaction it got, particularly from the national perspective. And when you thought to yourself, maybe I made a mistake here, and what do I do next? Yeah, George, I was surprised. I was shocked that anybody cared, to be honest with you. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I've been voting for these awards forever, and nobody's really ever asked me before. Um, uh, and uh, I was surprised by how inaccurately and poorly the whole thing was reported. But then I just looked at social media, and so that you know surprise went away rather quickly. Um, uh, and as far as you know, my reaction and what I do next. I had to stop and evaluate what happened. And, and, and what happened was uh, I was on a, uh, uh, an all sports talk radio station that I appear on regularly. Um, uh, it was a, a show that um, has been a lot of fun to do and I enjoy working with the guys who are on it, but they do tend to uh, try and, and create debate where they can. Um, uh, and in this particular topic, um, uh, it was a little premeditated because the host who asked me had heard me say this elsewhere and obviously had prepared a debate. Did you reveal that you're not voting for Aaron Rodgers? Is that correct? I did. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been pretty consistent about that all year. Um, I don't think you can be the biggest jerk in the league and punish your, your team and your organization and your fan base the way he did. Do I think he's going to win it? Probably. You know, the, the, a lot of the voters don't don't approach it the same way that I do. Others do who I've spoken to. Um, but one of the, the, the ways we get to keep being voters is we're not allowed to say who we are voting for until after the award has been announced. I'm probably pushing the envelope by saying who I'm not voting for. Um, but we're, we're not really supposed to reveal our votes. And there I made a horrible mistake because I allowed myself, uh, as it went on, to get a little bit annoyed um, and presented some things in a way that I should not have. It. And that's totally my fault and nobody else's. And so um, the reaction was to, within 24 hours, to um, uh, offer uh, publicly the strongest apology and statement I could for what went wrong, which was A, I was not supposed to be discussing my vote until after the awards had been announced, and B, because I got annoyed, I, I called Aaron Rodgers some names that just were inappropriate. It was sophomoric. It was stupid. And I've never really had that happen in, in over 40 years of doing this, and uh, that was the moment. So issued the apology. The thing that was very disappointing and frustrating about it was like so many things in our society, people tried to make it personal and a couple loudmouths said, you know, voter deciding on personal bias when in fact personal bias had absolutely nothing to do with it. Um, and Rogers himself decided to try and pretend that the problem was that I said I wouldn't vote for him because he wasn't vaccinated, which couldn't have been further from the truth and had nothing to do with it. Uh, uh, there were other things that he did that caused me to question his value. Um, and specifically lying about it when asked if he was vaccinated and then refusing to follow the protocols and the rules that were negotiated by his Players Association, who had been more concerned about the mitigation and protocols, really, it seemed, than even the league and the risk that he put his teammates at. And none of that ever got discussed because, uh, um, you know, social media took off and, and then the argument about whether the award was strictly about performance on the field or off the field. So... Um, it was a very, you know, kind of nuanced topic. And um, 
uh, I think, a, a great example of the, uh, the damage that, that social media can do, you know, in, in today's environment. You know, George, Twitter is a funny place and, and um, uh, not very humorous at times, unfortunately, but um, uh, it's, it's a necessary evil of the business that we're in. If you're not promoting your work, you're not able to get the audience you seek to read it. And yet, unfortunately, there is so much on there that is just, you know, unnecessary and, and, and repulsive and people who go there for the wrong reasons. And so um, uh, I don't spend much time there, you know, and, 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 and didn't prior to this. And so that's what made it easier for me to get through. The thing that I will never forgive some people for is you'd be amazed at the number who went out of their way um, to go after my family, you know, my, my, my wife, my kids, my grandkids, uh, even seek out some of their personal social media accounts to attack them directly. And I, I just, I don't know what goes through people's minds when they do things like that, you know? Um, uh, but it, it was a, it was a lesson in life, George. And, uh, um, again, uh, to be as clear as I can, I created the problem for myself by, by, you know, after five decades of doing, uh, you know, sports talk uh, uh, on the radio, uh, forgetting, you know, forgetting for a moment where I was and saying some things I shouldn't have. And, and so I have nobody to blame for it but myself. And uh, um, yeah, not only this too shall pass, but it is a lesson learned. Vienna beef, two words synonymous with hot dogs. They're the home of the Chicago hot dog and an institution since 1893. If you've had a hot dog, chances are it was from Vienna. And did you know there are more locations selling Vienna in Chicago than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's combined? There's nothing like biting into a juicy and delicious pure beef Vienna hot dog. Drag through the garden, which includes yellow mustard, onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and some celery salt. And oh, those Polish sausages dripping with flavor. And look for the spicy smoked sausage available in your local retail stores. It includes a perfect blend of seasonings such as crushed red peppers and brown sugar, creating a bold and zesty taste. Vienna products are available in restaurants, grocery stores, and entertainment venues such as the ballparks, cups, and socks, stadiums, museums, and zoos. Plus, you can purchase them online, coast to coast at ViennaBeef.com and on Amazon. And remember, Vienna is not just hot dogs and sausages. Look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Check them out at ViennaBeef.com. Bob Arkish worked with another one of our guests, the immensely talented and popular Kevin Harlan. There may not be a more unique play-by-play -play artist in our business today, and I thought you would like to hear just how I began my relationship with this award-winning announcer. Now let me tell you a story about Kevin and me that you don't know, and we're going back, I don't know, it's about probably 40 years. You were doing the pre- and post-game for the Kansas City Chiefs while you were still, I believe, a student at Kansas. True. And, and I was a freelancer and appeared on some of your broadcasts while covering the Bears. So please tell me you still have some of the audio so that I can alert eBay. Well, <laughs> first of all, I can hear your voice giving these reports from Soldier Field uh, from those many years ago. I was a, uh, a sophomore at the University of Kansas, 
Wayne Larravee was doing a game on radio, and I cannot tell you for who, but he was doing a game at Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas, for somebody. And um, I happened to go down. Uh, I was, as a student at that time, getting interviews and doing whatever I was doing, you know, as, as a sophomore at the University of Kansas. Saw Wayne, introduced myself, of course, knew he was the voice of the Chiefs. And he says, hey, by the way, our station is going news talk in Kansas City. This was KCMO Radio. We're going news talk, and they're going to put together a three-hour pregame show, which will be the longest in the NFL. No other station is doing a three-hour pregame show. This is 1980, maybe 1979. And, and he said, we're looking for some, uh, basically an intern to come in and produce the show. And I said, uh, well, I, I, I would love to. And he gave me the details. He drove into Kansas City and, and uh, interviewed, and, and they gave me the job. So I let my mind kind of run wild here. And I said, uh, what I'd love to do is I'd like to get stringers. We, we called them, maybe they're still called stringers. I don't know. We were called stringers, all right. Yeah, called stringers in these different markets and have them give us these reports and make the show a national show. And although KCMO ran, you know, and originated the show and was the flagship station of the Chiefs Network, the Chiefs Network had about 80 stations around the Midwest in about seven different states, and they took this pregame show. So it really had a big feel to it. And we had a lot of stations, covered a lot of geography, and with the signals of those stations creeping into other states and other areas, covered, you know, a good quarter of the country plus, maybe a third. Uh, through the middle of the country for sure. So we, we, I put together the show, uh, contacted people by looking in the NFL Black Book, which is really a, a book that is put out by the league every year that lists all the reporters uh, that cover the teams in these different NFL cities. And your name was in there at the very top of the list, as I recall, as someone who would do radio. And so I think I picked up the phone, George, one day when I was about 19 or 20 and called you and said, we're putting together this show. I need a Chicago correspondent. Would you be interested? Yeah, I, I think my response was, how much are you paying? I think it was. <laughs> and I, I'm paying, I, I, I got cleared to pay $10 a report. And I'd like to use you in the pregame. I'd like to use you at halftime of the game we're broadcasting and like to use you in, in the post-game show. So it would be three. Now, now, people should know that you were also reporting for CBS Radio, NBC Radio, Mutual Radio, like like you were giving reports to every... It, depending on who the Bears were playing, I might have had as many as a dozen clients. And so sometimes I would have two phones in my ear because I was ready to go on one when I was finishing the other. And of course, you know, that early 80s was a time the Bears... Were, were, were becoming interesting. Ditka got there and they really became interesting. But uh, it was Chicago and it was a big market and, and the Bears were a flagship NFL franchise and you were there in the third or second biggest market in the country. So, so you were definitely part of it. But I had all these guys in all these different markets lined up. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know how many teams we had in the league back in 1980, uh, but we probably had, I, I, did we have 32? We may have had 32 at that time. But we had all these different people. And, and sure enough, that's where George and I met when I was in college. And eventually I went on to, to host the show. And then I eventually went on to broadcast the Chiefs uh, when I was 24. 
and did that for nine years. And we still use George in the still long pregame show. It got to be pricey after a while. And, and I think they found out that, that now more stations were trying to copy, but, but KCMO radio really was the first in the country to do that as a, as a single flagship station and three hours, no one had ever done. And they thought you're crazy, but we became a news talk station for CBS. And so it worked out. Did you know General Motors 2021 Supplier of the Year is located in Hillside, Illinois? Dynamic Manufacturing not only remanufactures transmissions for the likes of GM, but also as a state-of-the-art facility. Its capabilities include engineering new or existing products, along with manufacturing, machining, logistics, and re-energizing used batteries for electric cars and energy storage systems. I've seen their operation firsthand, and their nearly 1 million square feet of operating space is extremely impressive. Dynamic was founded by the late, great John Partipillo in 1955 and is still family-owned and operated by the next generation. For more information about Dynamic Manufacturing, visit their website at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com. Dynamic Manufacturing. Honor the legacy. Pioneer the future. Here's about as good a storyteller as we've had on this podcast. Dave Refson, the first host and still the face of the Big Ten Network, had an encounter with a rather infamous figure. Pay attention because no one could have told this story better than Refson. You, like I, have the distinction of talking to many famous people in our industry. Come to think of it, I'm I'm talking to one right now, but back in 2003, (laughs) you were on a golf course with what turned out to be one of the most notorious figures of the 20th century. I vacillated in telling you about this, George, because (laughs) I am not proud of this. Um, Here is the story. I was 2003, as you said, and we are on Martha's Vineyard. We lived in Connecticut. I was at ESPN at this time. And we went for a a week's vacation on the vineyard and rented a house there. And I was able to negotiate with my wife, who is great. Like, she's the most patient person in the world. She's not one of those people who like limits me or whatever, but we had a young kid and this was her vacation too. And she's like, go play golf one time, knock yourself out. So I negotiated one round of golf. And so I call Farm Neck, which is the the really famous golf course on Martha's Vineyard where, you know, like Bill Clinton plays there when he's out there and uh, Barack Obama would play there. And, and so it's a private course in the morning. It's a public course in the afternoon. And so I call for a tea time and they, I'm a single and they say, yeah, we got a tea time at two o'clock. Why don't you come on out? We got a threesome and you can join them. I said, great. And so I go out there and I'm at the range and I'm hitting balls and I'm not hitting them well. I'm kind of stressed out. And it's like maybe 152. And I look at my watch. I'm like, oh no, I got to go. I got to go. So I get my cart and I speed over to the tea and there are two carts there. One with two bags on it, one with one bag. And the starter says, put your bag on the, the cart with one. Those guys went inside to get bug spray. They're coming back out. I'm like, great. I'm working on my swing, work on my swing. They come out and I'm not paying attention. It's these three guys. I'm kind of looking down. I'm not really looking at them. And the first guy says his name and I say, hi, I'm Dave. And the second guy says his name. I say, hi, I'm Dave. And the third guy says, I'm OJ. And I look up at him. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? So think about this. Okay. And so at this point, it's like 158. We're teeing off in two minutes. This is the one round of golf I've negotiated. I am at this point a public figure. Now, I'm not a, you know, again, like I work at ESPN. I'm on the air. 
uh, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to pretend I'm anything I'm not, but I'm a public figure. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to go with this guy? I really want to play golf, <laughs> you know, but this doesn't seem like a great idea. And, and in that moment, I'm just like, I, I just, we teed off like they were going to the tee. And so we tee off. And the crazy thing was I get in the cart and I sit down and OJ sits next to me. So they've got a threesome, George, and they don't even put OJ with one of the other guys that he knows. So at 157, I'm thinking like, who am I going to be playing golf with? At 2.02, I'm hurling down the first fairway in a cart with O.J. Simpson. It was crazy. And, yeah, it ended up being a really weird day. Um, you know, look, he obviously, you know, my, my joke afterward, I, I kept kind of thinking of quips in my head. I'm thinking, well, he's, he's obviously going to quit after nine to continue the search for the real killer. Right. Uh, you know, was, <laughs> no, no way this guy's You're got time for 18. Man, you know that, don't you? <laughs> no way this guy's got time for 18, right? Uh, <laughs> so, but he, you know, look, he was, he was very solicitous kind of along the way and going out of his way to kind of convert America one golfer at a time, right, into to being on his side. And kind of what are you supposed to do? He asked me what I did for a living. I said I was an accountant. He didn't know. <laughs> he apparently didn't watch enough ESPN to know who I was or, or frankly, frankly, didn't care. And so, yeah, that was the end of it. Now, I will say that at the end of it, I said, uh, I'm going to turn in this score for my handicap. Would you mind attesting on the scorecard? Which I think had to have been the most transparent thing that anyone had ever done. But, but yes, yeah, so I got him to sign the scorecard, which I still have. And then, George, I mean, I really was paranoid. Of that, that it really, you know, it's a bad decision. I mean, in hindsight, if I was presented with the same position in the same spot today, you know, I, I, I wouldn't play. I mean, I, I just think I, you know, I wouldn't ride with it. Um, but, but at the time, I, I did, and I was a little nervous about it. I only told a couple people and kind of said, "Hey, don't, don't tell anyone." And then, uh, yeah, just kind of, that was it. That was my round with OJ. Would you like to save money? <laughs> Who wouldn't? How about saving money on your real estate taxes? I have and did so thanks to Serenal Law Group, accomplished professionals ready to put money back in your pocket. All Chicago properties were reassessed by the Cook County Assessor's Office, and some of you got eye-opening increases. Serenal Law Group has the ability to lower that. The deadline to file your 2021 appeal is 30 days after your township opens for appeals at the Board of Review, so don't waste a minute contacting Serenal Law Group so you can save. There are no fees, so you don't have to pay a dime unless they save you money. And take it from me, they've saved me thousands. And they do it in a professional and friendly manner that makes your life a whole lot easier. Serenal Law Group handles appeals throughout the greater Chicagoland area from residential, commercial, or industrial property. They're ready to fight on your behalf, so you don't pay more than your fair share. Visit their website, serenow.com, that's S-A-R-A-N-O-W, or call them at 312-373-0015. Mention promo code OFFMAN, that's O-F-M-A-N, to get a discounted fee on your 2021 property tax appeal. Contact Serenow Law Group, S-A-R-A-N-O-W, and start saving. Finally, Dave Bennett, the longtime voice of Northwestern football and basketball, who earlier in his career took a trip to cover Super Bowl XX, the one and only Super Bowl the Bears won. And with him a very famous member of the organization. I'm going to go back to 
January 26, 1986, because I think that's a date that uh, is very close to the heart of a lot of people who will be listening to this podcast, mm -hmm. uh, the day of Super Bowl 20. And I was at the time working with the Bears radio crew. I, I produced the games in the booth. I did some pregame and halftime work on air. I produced the broadcast with, with Wayne Larrabee and Jim Hart and Dick Butkus on WGN. And, uh, and I also did the postgame show. Well, uh, along with Chuck Swirsky. So uh, it just so happened that that was the first year that WGN was carrying the Bears. And of course, everybody knows what happened. So fast forward to New Orleans on that Sunday, January 26th. One of my roles was to accompany Dick Butkus to record his pregame interview with Mike Ditka. Now, normally we did that at the stadium, but seeing as how it was the Super Bowl, we figured maybe it would be a good idea to do it ahead of time. So it, it was decided that we would go to Ditka's suite in the team hotel, record the interview. So we go up to wherever his suite was, a very large suite, as I remember. We go in, and Mike's waiting for us. And what I remember about it is that he was very calm, at least outwardly. Now, I don't know what he was like on the inside, but I think everybody kind of had a feeling at that point what was going to happen later that day. So we get done with the interview, and now it's a couple hours before game time, and Dick and I decide we're going to just walk over to the Superdome. We're going to leave the hotel and just walk to the game. And so we're walking not on the main streets, but we're taking some some of the side streets over to the uh, to the dome. And so I'm walking alongside Dick Butkus. Now, keep in mind, Dick Butkus would be recognizable in, oh, I don't know, Laramie, Wyoming. But on this particular day in New Orleans, everybody who was driving by or stopped in traffic that was gridlocked around us realized that's Dick Butkus, one of the greatest bears of all time. And they are all stopping and leaning out of their cars and yelling to Dick, go get him, Butkus, and, and <laughs> let's get him today and go Bears and all this. Butkus had just the greatest reaction to this because, look, let's face it, you would think he'd get tired of of all the adulation and, and being recognized and not being able to go out in public without people coming up to him. He was savoring every minute of this because I think he was as excited as anybody that the Bears not only were in the Super Bowl, but we all knew were about to win the Super Bowl. And it was just the coolest reaction, I thought, just watching Dick react to the fans who were just savoring this really special moment in Chicago sports history. That's really something because there are so many stories from that Super Bowl and that bizarre week that took place in New Orleans. Yeah, and it was my first time in New Orleans. And all I could really figure out was in our hotel, which was the team hotel, but also there were fans there, obviously, to get a cup of coffee in the lobby, you had to give maybe 20, 25 minutes out of your day. It was every place we went was crowded and, and jammed. And, and at some point, you know, it's almost, it got a little tiring. Now I'm not 
complaining. I mean, it seems like a wonderful city. I have good friends there, but I will tell you one of my fondest memories of the week. I wasn't there with the Jim McMahon mooning incident. I wasn't there. I think I might've been there when Les Grobstein held court with the media. Yeah. Um, that was, that was another great moment that, yeah. but I remember we went to a sponsor event and there were these parties every night and all kinds of big shindigs and true value hardware held a party at a restaurant in probably near the French quarter and attending the event, Dick Butkus and Ray Nitschke. And what I remember is sitting at a table into the late hours of the evening with Butkus and Nitschke telling stories. Now, I couldn't tell you today, George, any of those stories. All I can tell you is I was just so fascinated at the moment in sitting there listening to these two guys talk about the old days in football, days that I remembered as a kid, that it's just something that I thought, I wish I could record this right now, but that, that wouldn't be appropriate, and I probably couldn't use half of it anyway. By the way, I think it's fairly safe to say, Dave, you're an institution at a great institution, witnessed the broadcast booth at Ryan Field, which is named in your honor. That's a big deal. It is. It is. I was blown away when it happened. It was my uh, 25th anniversary calling Northwestern football, and it was the opener that year. And I knew something was going on, but I didn't know exactly what. And I, the day before, they said, hey, could you, uh, could you talk to Jim Phillips at halftime, the athletic director? And I said, sure. And that wasn't unusual. That's a, a fairly common request um, for can you get a halftime guest on or carve out some time? And I said, sure. And we'll have our, our halftime host can, can do the interview. And they said, no, we'd like you to do it. And so I had no idea anything was up. I said, hey, Jim, great day for an opener. And uh, I think, unfortunately, things were not going very well for the Wildcats that day against uh, Cal, as I recall. But at one point, Jim says, David, we want to congratulate you on your 25th anniversary. And if you'll turn around and look at the door to your booth, and they, they had covered a plaque that was on the door, and they pulled the wrapping off of it, and in front of me and announced that this was the booth was now named in my honor. And I honestly, I was just overwhelmed. I didn't know what to say. You know, the people of Northwestern and it's been a long run and they've been wonderful to me and they've they've been uh, just terrific. And, uh, you know, I couldn't thank them enough. And to this day, when I walk in there and I see that that plaque as seven years later, I still kind of think, uh, wow, did that really happen? My thanks to Mike North, Hub Arkish, Kevin Harlan, Dave Repson, and Dave Ennett for some terrific storytelling. And as always, a big thanks to TJ Rees for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his fine mixing and editing, and Nick Tochi for our great graphics. And to our generous sponsors, Serenal Law Group, top-notch pros who will save you money on your real estate taxes, Dynamic Manufacturing, Honor the Legacy, Pioneer the Future, and the Vienna Beef Company, home of the iconic Chicago hot dog since 1893. By BetUS, a pioneer in the sportsbook industry for almost three decades. Tune in next week for another fascinating episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman, and that's all she wrote. Sit. 
sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.